Welcome to Beyond Conventional Marketing, a marketing leader's guide to digital consumer experiences. You're about to hear an episode full of insights from marketing leaders to help you build meaningful moments and relevant digital experiences for your consumers. Join us as we hear from marketing leaders about their experiences with data and personalization, digital marketing trends, and expert advice on how to grow your business and connect with consumers. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Conventional Marketing. I'm your host, Anushka Lokesh. Very excited about our guest today, who is Anna Kloss, the VP of Pricing, Promotion, Product, and Personalization at Vistaprint. Hi, Anna. How are you? Yeah, thank you. Very happy to be here and join the podcast. Thanks for the invitation. Yes, we're very excited to have you. I'm extremely looking forward to our conversation. But before we get started, would you be able to tell us a little bit about your background and what it is that you're doing at Vistaprint? Sure. Yeah, very happy to. So I'm a passionate data and analytics leader in the commercial analytics space. You already got all the, the P's right. Uh, so everything, every P that is related to commercial analytics from pricing and promotion analytics to product catalog analytics, as well as personalization algorithms, uh, falls within my remit. I'm based in uh, Munich, Germany. And uh, indeed, in my current role at Vista, I lead those data and analytics domains uh, to bring data-driven decision-making to these business functions that make use of uh, pricing decisions or how to personalize the customer experience. Actually, my background is less in, in data and more in business and economics. I studied in different business schools uh, and universities across uh, Germany, France, Sweden, the US, and actually Canada as well. I always liked the breadth of the business sciences from business cases and scenario analysis, financial modeling and, and organizational theory. And I would say this was also this general curiosity that led me actually for the first uh, 10 years of my career to work in management consulting and strategy consulting with McKinsey and Company, which I did for, for 10 years, serving different European clients, especially in the B2C space of retail, where obviously now the need for data and analytics became yeah, quite a natural fit for, for me. So is that what you were doing at McKinsey as well? Were your projects more data oriented? How did you find your way into kind of the data space? Yeah, yeah, great question. So uh, indeed, I think there's almost no way around uh, working in, in retail and not liking data. So given that just the number, like the vastness of the assortments in a typical retail store, even just if you take the physical store and not even the endless aisle of e-commerce, really yeah, got, got my attention from the, the data and analytics side. And I would say I worked on both the more classical retail analytics space as well as the more modern stuff. So when you, on the one hand side, you think classical retail analytics, this is everything from retail strategy and growth management, where you would look at how to optimize the assortment or how to play an optimal structure for a store network and where to set up these new stores, but also pricing architecture and related analytics. And more and more, I worked in the... A more novel arm of McKinsey around topics that we would call McKinsey Digital. And this was really where I also uh, discovered my love not only for project work, but really product work, because we would operate 
not on the basis of delivering projects. And uh, in the end, what our clients would hold in their hands is just a pretty presentation. But we would often prototype the first algorithm and then hand over code instead of yeah PowerPoint slides. So that was really a novel way of, of working even at McKinsey at that time. And it was really where I got my appetite to doing that more and to find a, a role in the industry where I could do this full time. That's an interesting consulting role because typically, I guess, when you think about consulting, it's more thinking about strategy and, like you said, delivering presentations, mm -hmm. but not usually execution. So that sounds like a really interesting role. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And I, I still recall that uh, a lot of these projects were really super hands-on. They were working on agile marketing war rooms where we helped clients to get away from these uh, spray and pray Uh, mass campaigns and to really get more targeted and uh, trying different targeted email campaigns with the customer segments two or three at a time every given week. And then at the end of a five-week period, you would have 15 different campaign ideas and you could really see the value of being more targeted and also energize the whole organization, quite frankly, that you could really move the needle by so much just within a few weeks already and prove that a novel operating model would be possible for even like very big retailers. That's an interesting approach to personalization. It's like, it's quite a, I guess, complex undertaking at any organization. And if I'm not mistaken, is part of your role right now at Vistaprint. So I would love to understand, like, how have you approached personalization in your current role? Yeah. So let me start off maybe, as you said, to tackle first, uh, why is personalization complex, as you say, in my experience, both from the consulting role, but also now uh, being a leader in the industry, I definitely agree that it is complex. And when you ask me why, I would say, for me, there are three reasons. Number one, I do think that there is a strategy challenge uh, attached to, to personalization. So with, with personalization being one of these big business trends in the last decade, Organizations really need to ask themselves of how to make personalization meaningful to their customers and link it to their strategy. So for me, how I, how I tend to think of, of this is personalization can't be that pretty ribbon that you put on a virtual or physical package that gets delivered to, the, to customers, but it needs to be part of that package or part of the delivery. And that leads us to the second challenge. Uh, the second challenge for me is the organization challenge. In most organizations, when you start with personalization efforts, this will not happen as a greenfield exercise, but you have an existing process. How does a marketing email get created, uh, planned, executed, and tracked? Like There will be processes of, of how this is being done. There is somebody who currently decides what to show on product pages on the homepage. And when you want to personalize these processes, there's always an incumbent process that needs to get innovated, so to speak. And I, I think this is definitely something that uh, I can also talk a bit more about how, how we've approached that at, at Vista. And the third challenge that I also want to call out briefly is the technology challenge, obviously. And for personalization efforts to work scalably and reliably and with customer and business uh, impact, positive impact, one needs really the full concert of technology foundations, data and analytics infrastructure, and the expert staffing to, to make that happen. And I think this is really where these different things need to come together. And it often involves very sizable investments. Uh, so as leaders, we need to be really clear on how we have an integration plan that breaks down different value increments of these investments and finds a, a, yeah, a meaningful sequence of planning those out. And yeah, to what you just said, I think being responsive to these three challenges 
I see that we we definitely can do three things as as leaders in the personalization space. So on the strategy side, I'd love to go a bit deeper in the area of being really clear which customer problems personalization solves. And I think having an answer to, to that one is really valuable. The second is, and that's also how we've done it at Vista, is delivering personalization capabilities as a cross-functional team and not in a silo. I think that is definitely what has made us successful. And on the technology challenge, the, the third one is demonstrate value early and often in select areas to quickly shape uh, the investment path in the long term. Yeah, I love that. I love that last part about showing successes quickly, even if they are if they are small. But so you had mentioned that there's always kind of an incumbent process and then something that you're trying to innovate on and, and change. Are you able to elaborate a little bit on what that was like at Vistaprint? Yeah. So at Vista, I mean, even uh, though I'm the only one at Vista who has personalization in their job title, you just yeah, re- referred the the four P's that I hold. I was always certain that any successful efforts would need to be delivered cross-functionally. And so this is also how we we set up the team. So we do have a cross-functional team today of about 30 practitioners that come from the data analytics space, their marketing space, technology and product management, who yeah combine their expertise to deliver on initiatives that we have prioritized, again, jointly as a cross-functional leadership team. And I think it's also very important to understand that such a move towards personalization should be treated almost like any other transformation effort. So what, again, we have done, what I can also highly recommend is that you give the transformation a name. So at Vista, we don't call it the personalization initiative, but for us, it's CR magic. So it's customer relationship magic. It's not just customer relationship management. It's not just personalization. But what we are here to create is is CR magic. And uh, not only does this transformation now have a name and is referenced in a lot of the communications that go out even on a Vista-wide audience internally, but we also have established the necessary routines for sharing out information, celebrating wins, but also discussing learnings where things didn't turn out as we anticipated. So I like that you have a name for it. Do you find that that helps people get more invested in the process and the change that's happening? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's part of uh, yeah, the, the marketer in me, in me, so to speak, uh, that yeah, having that brand is, is definitely something that creates more emotional value as well for everyone. And as you can imagine, doing these things often for the first time is hard and it, it requires quite a lot of effort. It re- sometimes requires long nights. It requires sometimes a weekend for things to debug and, and go live on the next week as, as planned. So creating that belonging and having having a shared purpose under such a brand as CR Magic has definitely helped us create that continuous motivation and drive. And especially also every one of us is in a remote world now these days. We moved to a remote first company as part of the pandemic. And now it's actually quite a huge asset for us to uh, also staff global teams. But yeah, you also need to, to think about how you create shared meaning in such a remote environment and having these internal brands, I would say, has definitely done its, its fair share. I love that. I love that. In the context of personalization, could you share a little bit about, you know, some of the customers that Vistaprint caters to and like who your personalization is generally for? Yeah, of course. So maybe let me introduce Vista a bit in the beginning for those who, who don't know us, actually. 
And we started as Vista Print more than 20 years ago to disrupt the online print market by offering affordable, high quality products in the mass, mass customization aspect of print. So when you uh, imagine the field of uh, mass print, you would always have that and you would have hundreds of thousands of copies. And that was already cheap. And you would have the very low quantity, high-end practices of print that were on the other end of the scale. And we were sort of in the middle, innovating on both sides, making it affordable to have mass, mass customization at small quantities. And I would say historically, therefore, we have catered uh, to our main customer segment of small businesses. And those are both for-profit, but also non-profit organizations. Uh, and as well, a large or like, large enough customer account on the private consumer segment for those who look for personalized gifts, for example, such as wall calendars or photo books, or who have private events to celebrate, such as a wedding or an anniversary, and uh, yeah, want to send out those invitations with style. And when we look at Vista, over the years, we have quite evolved uh, from Vista's aspiration and brand promise, uh, also evidenced by the, the recent rebranding in October of last year from Vista Print to Vista. Uh, to now become the expert design and marketing partner to those uh, small and me uh, medium businesses. And what I was saying before, I think this really ties in very nicely with what value that uh, we think personalization can add to the mix is really understanding what is the unique challenge that small businesses face. And when I was saying before that you need to be really clear on, on what customer problems personalization helps solve, I see a lot of organizations which think, we need Netflix-like content personalization or we need Amazon-like next product to, to buy recommendations. And I only think that this is part of the story because if your customers are not Amazon customers or if your customers are not Netflix customers, having these types of solutions does maybe not do enough or it doesn't solve meaningfully what, what your customers are looking for. And when I think about the life of a small business, it is evident that we have quite a great opportunity to cater to their very unique situations because small businesses are not a homogenous group. They are all very unique in where they stand in their business life cycle. What are their aspirations for the future? What type of industry do they run? Uh, do they have a, a gym? Do they run a paint shop? Do they have a, a coffee shop? Um, do they have an online business? So they are very, very different from the, the way that they need to be successful. And if we want to be their expert partner at design and marketing uh, for their business aspirations, it really is the, the perfect use case, as you said, for thinking about uh, bringing personalization into the picture. What if you could provide all of your consumers the most relevant digital experience? With predictive personalization at the heart of your digital marketing strategy, you can build meaningful relationships with consumers and grow your business quickly. Brainify's AI-driven platform can help you at any stage of your personalization journey. Whether you're looking to collect data, optimize customer journeys, or curate predictive personalized experiences, Using one line of code, Brainify integrates with any marketing tool you already use in just two weeks. Ready to learn more about creating personalized digital consumer experiences? Connect with us at Brainify.ai. So how would you go about, since you have a variety of customers, how would you go about figuring out what they need and what their, their case for, for personalization would be? Yeah. So 
Let me start again with uh, some concrete examples. Um, uh, one of the first needs that we see is that small businesses want to succeed, obviously, in marketing and growing their businesses. So we often have an expert opinion on what that could look like, given that we cater to millions of them. So it could be, what are the core products that uh, someone should think about bringing to the next trade show? Another idea that uh, we've implemented is that uh, time is money, obviously, for everyone, but especially the solo entrepreneur. So we want to save them time by curating what is most helpful given the life cycle stage that they that they are in. And that could be what we have live on our side today is that we have a more meaningful search so that the, the type of product that you are searching for or the design that you're searching for is easily accessible or comes surfaced as a recommendation immediately. Uh, so that you as uh, the solo entrepreneur can really focus on growing your business and not really wondering too much about uh, browsing our catalog to get there. And I think the the last piece that we've also recently started and want to do more investments in in the future is thinking about how we ease cognitive load for these uh, businesses because they are already handling so much and they have a lot on their plates. So how can we think about nudges and uh, reminders that are very helpful in the sense of, well, you run a restaurant uh, and it's time now to plan the seasonal menu for Easter. So how can we bring this top of mind? Because we see it in our database that this is now about the time two weeks ahead of Easter that you should be thinking about planning a seasonal menu. And I think these little uh, contributions to helping small businesses be more successful overall is how we try to make a difference. And not only, I would say, is it on the direct customer-facing side that we work on these capabilities, but also how do we then have the data structures and the analytic structures in the back end to enable this? I've now referenced multiple times that industry is one of the more important traits for how small businesses identify and how also their needs are differentiated. So we actually, one of the very first products that we worked on, we, we call it data products because it's yeah, productionized data capabilities, was an industry classification. So how could we infer from the documents that customers create, uh, which industry they belong to, to then have more meaningful recommendations for the types of designs, the types of products, the types of timing when we approach them uh, going forward. And I think this is where you also see the, the select investments for direct customer facing capabilities, but also how do you enable the whole organization to understand customers better to then yeah, get at, at personalization more in a in a segmented way, even not only in a in a one-to-one direct embedding on the on the site, for example. But how do you enable the organization to take other steps as well to interact more meaningfully with customers? That's a great point and and I guess builds on what you were saying that like personalization is a is a cross-functional effort. How would you do that? Because you're doing this day to day, for example, you and your team, but for maybe other parts of the organization or other stakeholders that are not thinking about this on a day to day, how would you still be able to show value in your your approach and your, I guess, the execution part as well? So, yeah, you were asking on how we bring this to the whole organization. And I would say there are a couple of routines that we have established. And yeah, you're referring exactly to that that second challenge of organizational adoption and how to, to drive a transformation effort. So in order to, to drive adoption of these new capabilities that often 
yeah, people look at with maybe uh, a bit of skepticism or with a bit of uh, just uh, yeah re reluctance or of, hey, I don't understand this. Like, this seems black box to me. Can you help me understand it? We really drove very dedicated adoption efforts. Yeah, one of the realizations we had after releasing this, this data product of industry classification was that even though we had released it for a couple of months already, it was not really being used. And so we realized that in order to drive adoption, we needed to go much more broad communication in, in the organization. So we founded uh, a working group around or within the team to uh, center around publishing what we call the customer radar, which is now a half annual publication that goes out to the whole business that helps everyone in the organization understand which customer information do we have available at scale, which ones do we have that is being prototyped, which ones do we have on the horizon that we have, that we think we have use cases for, but that we haven't gotten to. And investing into these types of communication efforts has proven really valuable because it just raises the general awareness. And then people can also come back and it's not just a, we centrally push capabilities out into the organization, but then there is a lot of pull and people say, oh, let me see uh, what I what I found in the customer radar is that we now have a data point on customers to design propensity. So how can I use that data point of how much a customer thinks they need design refreshed on a regular basis to actually run a campaign for free design upgrades in my market? And I think this is really where we hope to get to this flywheel of we published public uh, we published uh, the availability of different capabilities but then also the organization can come back with ideas and say well using this capability has given me even more ideas of how you could meaningfully help me target my customers or speak to my customers and uh, yeah this is something that takes time and effort and as i was saying the first publication uh, happened last year we are now in refreshing this this one artifact only out of uh, different others that we have but it's dedicated to support in, in these communication assets that I see as very, very crucial and vital for adoption. Yeah, I like it also because it seems like you're helping other departments as well be more customer focused. Is that fair? I would say, yeah, that's very fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So as we kind of wrap up or think about wrapping up, what are some maybe pieces of advice that you have for other teams that are taking on personalization as a, as a project? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think definitely the first one is you need to be in for the long run. <laughs> so I think that's, that's the realization that we all had in the beginning and yet reminding oneself that this is nothing that can be built in a day, in a week, or even just in a year is super important to, to be in for the long run and also to keep motivation up as things get hard, and I said that in the beginning of our our session here, uh, there will be a lot of times where things don't work out as you had planned, and then really believing in that and, and understanding the bigger vision and, and the why are we doing this is super important. One of the, the pieces that I thought about was in the beginning, actually, I was telling you the one of the earliest products that we had was we staffed a data scientist, uh, an analyst, an engineer, and a product manager on a team to work on this industry classification because we really believe that this would be uh, one of the core attributes of how we talk more meaningfully to customers. Well, the first version of this actually had just an accuracy of 50%. So, well, 
you could say one out of two cases was incorrectly classified, right? But on the other hand, we had 50 labels. So actually, if you just take random chance, one out of 50, then you have a, a 2% yeah, random choice. So 50% is not too bad if you compare it against that baseline. And that's also how we convinced the first group of marketers who were brave enough to use that classification to actually have five different industry newsletters that went out to the Australian customer base uh, at some point. And then truly believing this and celebrating the successes and also getting getting people to to dare and try things out, I think is is super important as you go through this. The other is also you need to believe that once you get started, things will get easier for the second or the third time. I, I still recall the first time we launched a new recommendation element on our website. It took weeks. It took really weeks to get this live on our site to just feature a new product recommendation engine also with then the automatic feed from product information, like product pictures, product description, et cetera. And now we can do this within a matter of hours and we have a new model that uh, we can just interchange quite automatically. So also dare to invest into the foundations because it will help you just scale and iterate much more quickly in the following ones. So these, I would say, are, are the two ones that have helped us most to overcome the first challenges and then have impact and uh, satisfaction internally, but also externally with customers on this. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people listening would also be able to apply that in their own context and, and find it helpful as well. Thank you so much for all of your for all of your insights, sharing what's happening at, at Vista today. I think it's been extremely insightful to, to see how you approach approach things as a leader when it comes to personalization. And we've loved having you on the show. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Anushka, and talk to you very soon. Yeah, bye, Anna. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Conventional Marketing, a Brainify podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and share it. To learn more about creating delightful digital experiences, join us for the next conversation.